Hey, everybody. It is really good to see you. Thank you for being here. My name's Kevin. I am the high school pastor. Uh, you probably know this person sitting to my left, your right. That's Jacob. You see him on the stage a good bit as well. The person you probably don't know is Tim. Everybody say, hi, Tim. Hi. <laughs> so Tim is the youth pastor at North Hills. Uh, you already met Kareen earlier, who was up here singing, and you may be wondering, like, why am I talking about this? Well, because we do have an event coming up April 2nd. Uh, it's called United Night of Worship, and we are trying to help you see that we're not as concerned about our lowercase c church. We are about the uppercase c church, the church that Jesus said he would build. So uh, we just believe that there's other great churches in this area that, that we share things with. And so we're thrilled to have Tim and some of his team with us. And we're going to go over there some. And uh, anyway, I just wanted to, to plug that. And then again, because you probably know us, and I didn't tell Tim this was coming. Tim, I want people to get to know you just a little bit first. So okay. Okay. Uh, we're, we're doing questions. So Tim, tell <laughs> us how long have you been doing student ministry? Okay. I've been doing student ministry since I graduated from school. I went to Liberty University up in Virginia. Anyone know the Flames? The Flames. Good. No one. I didn't realize um, I was sitting between you. two Wonderful. Liberty guys tonight. Are you, All right. well, you, Are you a Flame? Yeah. I'm a, uh, yes, I'm a Flame. Did we just become best friends. All okay. right. Well. So this is where I'm from. Simpsonville is home. Uh, I grew up at Fellowship Greenville. I uh, went to Southside Christian School. Your church got so big that you sold your old church to <laughs> us and we bought your old. So where Fellowship Greenville is, that's where you guys used to gather. Um, and then you guys obviously moved here. So Simpsonville is home. Um, I'll tell you what, your drummer, she's somewhere. Where's Madison she's at? She's bad to the bone. <laughs> he know, he's a drummer. Like, he's a drummer. So he I was know. coming in from the parking lot and I could hear a fat beat playing. And I was like, <laughs> whoever's playing is in the pocket. And that was awesome. <laughs> feel like but I graduated from high school and I, I toured for a few years as a drummer. Okay. Um, I was a 21-year-old freshman at Liberty. That's where I met my wife. Her name's Rachel. We have two kids, Judah and Levi. It must be a pastor thing. You Judah. have a Judah. Yes. Um, and I've been over at North Hills Church now for the last 13, 13 years. Nice. Can't believe it. So I'm so excited to be with you guys. Yeah. Well, Tim, we, we love you, man. Thank you for being here. Kareen, thank you so much for being here to help lead worship. Uh, it's a big deal seeing that we are the church. And tonight, uh, it's kind of a weird night. If, if this is your first time with us or first time in a long time, you're like, what, what are we doing? Why are these guys up here in chairs? What's going on? So every year we do a Q&A series, and we allow you to submit questions, and we want to answer them because this is just something that, that is fundamental. We believe it's okay to have questions and doubts. Uh, God is big enough to handle those things, and we want Brookwood, and specifically our student ministry, to be a place where you can come and ask questions. You do not have to have it all figured out. And I know Lynn jokingly earlier said that we had all the answers. The reality is sometimes the best answer is, I don't really know. And that's, that's okay. And we're going to do our best tonight, and there's going to be some things that maybe we'll say, and you'll be like, I don't agree with that, or I don't understand what they said. Let me just encourage you, continue to ask follow-up questions. You can come grab one of us. You can grab a group leader. You can grab one of our other staff. Always continue to ask questions. That's a good thing, uh, and we're excited about it. So uh, tonight and next week we'll be doing this. We've got 80-some-odd questions to get through. Uh, there were a lot of duplicates. Um, we will not get to the most asked question tonight. We'll get to that next week. Uh, it, was, it was asked more than I've seen it asked in any year that we've ever done this. But last kind of disclaimer 
Tonight's a balance of speed and accuracy, right? Like we want to be accurate. We want to give you holistic answers. And yet many of these topics we're going to cover, we could spend a long, long time on. So we're going to try to move with some speed. So again, if you're like, hey, I didn't catch that. Can you throw me that verse again? Can you name that book again? We'll give you some resources, etc. Come see us after, okay? All right, we're going to try to get through these. Question one, I just wanted to call somebody out. Uh, somebody folded a very intricate crane card, and you put it in the bucket, and I spent easily seven to eight minutes unfolding it, and there was no question inside, and you really hurt my feelings, but I've already forgiven you. Does anybody just want to cop to it? Who was it? Who folded it the crane? At least didn't say something hurtful. Anybody? Yeah, that would have been, that would have been bad. Okay. Some of them are pretty silly, guys, and some of them are pretty serious. We'll, we'll get to some of them, okay? Uh, but here's kind of the next batch, and you'll see some, some tonight we'll put on the screen all at once because they, they go together. So uh, questions two through four. How do we know God is real? How do you respond to the question, how do you know any of this happened? I guess speaking about the Bible. And then four, how does faith play in our lives? Uh, I put this at the beginning tonight because you ultimately have to decide what you believe, we are going to be coming from a biblical basis. Like you're sitting here talking to some pastors at church and you're like, well, of course they're going to go to the Bible. Yeah, like we're going to do that. If you have questions about that, we can have that conversation. Like how do you know the Bible is even an accurate source? And I could get really down into the minutia. This is something that we all studied in school. Just the number of ancient manuscripts that we have is, is pretty interesting versus some of the other ancient texts. Like we're coming from that angle. How do I personally know God is real? I've experienced him in my life. And, and I would dare say that's true for you, Tim. You've experienced God. Jacob, you as well. And, and as much as we could sit here and walk through the apologetics and give you all these facts and we could talk about science and all these things, and you think, well, wait, don't those oppose? No, actually, they, they really blend together quite well. More on that next week. Um, the, the reality is no one can talk me out of what I've seen God do in my own life. And for many of you in this room, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And if you've not experienced that yet, ask questions about that. Come see me and be like, what, what was that like for you? Can you speak into that? Ask these guys. Um, Hebrews 11.1, 1, if you want to jot down a verse, and we did have some blank uh, notes cards in the back. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, but not yet seen. So at some point, you're going to have to take it on faith. Uh, I'm not going to be able to give you 100% scientific, empiric, like, data. I can't do that. You have to decide what you believe. And it's important that you decide and don't let somebody else decide for you. Faith is a big, big deal. Okay. Now, lightening back up a little bit. Questions five and six. How to riz in a godly way? I, I really feel like somebody wrote this and was like, I bet Kevin doesn't know what that means. Surprise! I did know what it meant, and I did not have to look it up. Did you know? Actually, it comes from the word charisma. Did you know that? Yeah. Tim, do you know what, what Riz means? No. I had no. I just learned a couple days ago what the gritty was. The gritty. Would I'm you like to demonstrate for us? I'm so lame. I think that's what helps me be cool. Fair enough. Is I'm, it backfires. Fair, it's like Napoleon enough. Dynamite. It was so bad. People just loved it. Yes. That's kind of me. I do not know it, but I do now. It, can I say what it means? Or you can. I, yeah, you can. It means like... When we were growing up, it would mean like to spit game. Yeah, to, like, to spit game. Spit game. Anybody ever heard spit game? Is that a, that's so dated, just like Napoleon Dynamite. People are like, My who man. is Napoleon Dynamite? Yeah. Um, so how to riz in a godly way and then explain women, they confuse me. Okay, uh, to riz, right, to, to try to be able to, to, to spit game, as Tim said. Uh, how do you do that in a godly way? Be respectful, be kind, listen, don't try to be fake. I'm just, I'm just being honest. Like, these are the things that, that you can do. 
uh, and then explain women, they confuse me. Guys, I'm assuming a guy wrote this. Guys, women are not as complicated as you think they are. They're, they're really that's, not. That's sexist. A, a girl could have wrote that. A girl absolutely could have wrote that. But Thank you. If it was a guy, as I suspect, women want to be loved and cherished. They want to, to feel like they're important to you. So get off your phone every once in a while, uh, look them in the eye, listen, and then be able to come back and talk to them about the things they said, not just the things you want to say. Does that make sense? Ladies, is that? Oh, okay. I heard a, heard a woo from the back. All right. Women, women are not that complicated. Just, just listen and be kind and be respectful. Uh, Eric, as an aside, my pro remote has gone off. So can you throw us over to our next one? Number seven, are aliens real? And then parenthetically noted, the ones from outer space. Uh, just, just clarify. Not immigration. Yeah, just... it's not an immigration-based question. Um, this is, are aliens from outer space real? Tim, talk to us about aliens. Yeah, okay. So, um, when I saw this question, I thought, number one, great question. The way I answer that is, God's word doesn't say yay or nay, okay? And so God has given us an imagination, and we have been so... Um, Growing up, we watch Star Wars and we watch all these shows, and so we're, we're kind of used to thinking outside the box with that. Um, my gut tells me, um, yes, because uh, this is just me. It's not God's word. Um, I just think God is so creative and so fun, and um, something tells me there probably is life somewhere out there. Now, I will say, like, have you ever turned on the news and seen, like, a news article of, like, our Air Force seeing something weird up in the sky or that, like something kind of weird. I think if we get a glimpse of that now, that's the, the third dimension of like spiritual stuff. And we know that angels, demons, that kind of stuff, I think if we get a little glimpse of it here on earth, I think it's from that world. Think about how the shepherds probably felt when an angel came to them. Probably freaked out. They probably thought it was an alien, something extraterrestrial, you know. So. I would say, the Bible doesn't say yay or nay, but I hope there are. Hmm. <laughs> Real I quick, hope. yay or nay? Oh, yay. Yay? Yeah, I just think, I think, Tim said it earlier, like, there's, there's so many things that God can do, like, what's outside the parameters of him doing that again? Sure. I lean towards yes as well. Let's, let's, let's survey the audience. Who, who leans yes, aliens? Who leans no way, aliens? You guys are no fun at parties. Who says, please just don't let them come to our planet. This is our planet. <laughs> it's very selfish of you, but, but I get it. I get it. All right, let's, let's roll to number eight. This will be a Jacob exclusive question. Number eight is, how do I join the band thing here? So Jacob. Uh, I, love, I, love the, uh, I love the phrasing of this question. Yeah. Uh, just come talk to me. That's, that's, really, that's really it. Um, and I don't get to, I don't get to do this this much, but like just give it up for the band one more time. Uh, yeah, band. Like, I wasn't on that stage, and it was great hey. to just worship out here. Um, and it was great to just see our worship leaders, our band members, really worshiping Jesus tonight, um, and just in such a godly way. But yes, if you want to be a part of the band, just come talk to me. Uh, love to audition, and it's a really quick process. So. And Jacob, just to clarify, you're not looking just for vocalists. Like if someone plays like a really odd instrument, say like the French horn. If, could you, they play, come? if you play anything really, like it could be a Dr. Seuss instrument and I am, <laughs> I'm all down. So no, whatever you play, we've, you've seen it on the stage before. We've had saxophones, we've had trumpets, we've had strings. I mean, anything you play, think, we want I wanna... think Taylor Stenhouse played the triangle once yes, upon a time. Taylor so, Stenhouse Do you have to be good? Uh, that is a good question. No, you don't actually have to be good. You just have to be willing to be good. 
So in other words, willing to get better. Like I'd rather have somebody That's who's good. willing to be get better at playing than somebody who's perfect and doesn't see the need for improvement. Sweet. All right. Hey, if you're interested, if you've been like wondering how do I get involved, come see Jacob tonight. He would love to talk to you. All right, number nine. What's the whole wash your feet thing? Okay, I'm going to assume you mean when Jesus did that in the Bible, but if you did not, yes, you should wash your feet. Just because the water runs down in the shower, don't be lazy. Bend down or sit down. Whatever. It's dealer's choice. Wash your feet. Okay, they stink. Uh, but what's the whole wash your feet thing in, in the Bible? Uh, the, the ultimate message here, and you can read about this at the end of Jesus' life here on earth. Uh, he sits down to have a meal with his friends, and what they would do is they, the lowest servant in the, in the room basically would be the one responsible for washing feet. Feet were gross back then, just like they're gross now. And Jesus, who is King of kings and Lord of lords, took the lowest position to serve. Now, I've seen some beautiful feet washing ceremonies today. I've seen them done at weddings. I've seen them done uh, just in church. I've, I've seen them done all over. Mission trips. Uh, maybe you've been a part of them and you're like, they're super weird and gross and it's strange. And listen, I'm not, I'm not saying throw it out. I am telling you today to wash someone's feet doesn't necessarily literally mean that. It means serve. So if you are not serving in some capacity, you should be looking for ways to do that, my brother and sister in Christ. Lynn gave a plug earlier about serving here on a Sunday morning with some of our younger students. Come and do that. Go serve in your community. Find a way to serve others and don't think you're better than you really are. You can read Philippians 2. talks a lot about having the mind of Christ. Um, just a good reference for you on serving. Number 10. Tim, was Jesus married? Hmm. Good question. He was not. All right. Uh, sometimes Hollywood, uh, specifically Dan Brown, if you're familiar who that is, wants to make this an issue, but, but really it's not. No. It, and I'm going to circle back to this at a question a few down, so I yep. won't waste time now. But Sweet. no, he was but not. But no, he was not married. Did have a lot of women in his life. He was not married. All right. Try not to laugh too hard at this one, but here's number 11. How did two people populate the earth? Here's, here's. I know. Do you know? Rizzing. They did. <laughs> but in a godly way. But in right? a godly way. But can, can you use the word riz with I-N-G? Or does that mean something else? I'll go to the audience. Can you, can you, is rizzing, is that acceptable? Fair enough. I am hip. I would argue that Adam didn't have to have strong riz because Eve was literally the only option. Like, that's it. Sorry, honey. Um, this is it. How did two people populate the earth? Lots of fruitful sex. I <laughs> can't believe he said sex. Come back next month when we do a whole two-week thing on sex. It'll, it'll be a series called The Talk. You'll be so excited for that one. Uh, but they had lots of fruitful sex. Adam and Eve, according to the Bible, had 33 sons and 23 daughters. Now, some people say there may have been some other people in the earth. Um, that Adam and Eve is this poetic piece in, that we read about in Genesis. I don't tend to lean that way. Uh, and you go, that's pretty gross. You're saying that their kids married and, and had sex and continued to populate. Yes, I am saying that. Leviticus 18, 6 through 17 does eventually prohibit very close relationships being together in that way. But at the very beginning, when you had two people, there were only so many options. And so that was, that's what it was. Okay, their kids married each other. People go, who did Cain marry after he killed Abel, right? Who did he marry? Well, he would have married one of his sisters who was not named. Okay, I know you think that's gross. I'm just telling you that is the most likely answer. Okay, number 12. This gets a little bit heavy. If two people get married through trauma bonding and they divorce, how does God like that? Uh, I just want to say 
Trauma bonding, it's a serious thing. Um, These very traumatic relationships that exist out there, and I don't know if that's someone, you know, that you know, or maybe that's your own home life. You've got some parents who have trauma they've not dealt with, uh, some things that are going on in your home that are very um, heavy and hard to deal with. Divorce, no matter the circumstance, is heartbreaking. It just is, and I'm not condemning. I'm saying that's, that's a tough thing for whatever reason. There are times where the Bible says that divorce is necessary. And, and I would say if you know somebody who's in an abusive situation, uh, they need to get some help. And you need to be that person who gently, lovingly encourages them to take a step to get some help. Uh, and if nothing else, you can be praying for them. But, um, you know, people, people like to argue a lot about divorce. We're not going to get too into the weeds on that. If you have more questions, you can come see me. But uh, divorce, no matter the circumstance, is, is certainly heartbreaking. It's a difficult thing. And if you are living in a home uh, where there's been divorce or you're splitting time between multiple homes, uh, I know that can be difficult for you. Hear me when I say this. It's not about you. You are loved. This is emotional for me. My, my sister is divorced, and I've got a nephew who's three years old, and it's, it's hard for him to go back and forth. His environment's different all the time. And even you as a high school student, that might be difficult for you. But it's not about you. All right, that's, that's that. I'm, I'll cry if I keep talking much. Okay, Tim, coming, coming back over to you. Is not wanting a romantic relationship or being attracted to anyone, is that against God's word? Yeah. And I misspelled against, but you guys show grace, all right? Grace, <laughs> grace abounds. Spelling is hard. Spelling is hard. Um, no, that's not going against God's word. That's not sinning. It, if you're in that boat, then Okay. Even there's words in Scripture that say, I think it's Paul that talks about, if, if you burn with passion um, for the opposite sex, then, then get married. But if not, there's a lot of great things about being single. And let me say this, whenever I say the word single, I tend to not like using that word because it implies you're not whole and you are. Mm-hmm. Single is one you're not dependent on someone else to make you whole. We know that Jesus does that. So if you live a life where you don't have a romantic relationship or you don't get married and you do it to the glory of God, awesome. I, I think of so many things in my life that I'm limited to because I have a wife and kids. And that's not a bad thing. I knew that going into marriage. I, Rachel and I knew that when we were going to have kids. I was going to have to say no to a lot of stuff. But I have some friends who are not married, whether by choice or not by choice, and their singleness is a gift. The things they can do for the kingdom, the things they can do in serving God's people, it's just their platform is just so much bigger. So um, I would say no. That's a great question. And if you feel like you're going down the road where marriage or, you know, relationships isn't for you, okay, seek Jesus with everything you got. And you're good to go. Great answer. Thanks for, thanks for taking that one, Tim. All right, uh, number 14. How do I help my friend realize they are finding their value primarily in members of the opposite sex, and then parenthetically noted here, without them yelling at me? So, Jacob, how can whoever asked this question, and then probably the 10 other people who wanted to ask it but didn't, uh, how do we have these conversations? Um, I think it really just depends on the relationship that you have with this person. Um, relational equity is key, like having that actual relationship with that person uh, to be able to have a tough conversation, whether it has to do with this or having to do with a lot of tough conversations, how well you know that person and how well that person knows you, 
um, is key before, before any tough conversation really starts. Um, so build the time, having a relationship with that person, being a friend to that person. Um, and then really dig down and think about like what, how you're going to say it, like how you're going to approach it. Um, and that goes for any, any tough conversation that you're going to be having with somebody, whether it has to do with maybe the relationship they have with, with, a, with a guy or a gal, um, or just how they're living their life. Uh, there's a lot of tough conversations to be had, um, and how you go about that, how you build that relational equity is key, because if you don't, yeah, you're going to get yelled back at, but if you have a relationship in store already, then, and it's strong, then even a conversation like this shouldn't break that, and that should, that should show you how strong your friendship is, um, but also, when you're having this specific kind of conversation, and that was kind of more speaking in genera generalities, but when you're talking about this kind of situation, and, and, and I've had my fair shares of conversations with people, but putting the value of themselves, who they are, who Christ finds them to be, who, who they are as an individual, putting that value conversation on them and how valuable that you see them and how valuable that Christ sees them, that is more important than maybe condemning them for the value that they're seeking from other people. Hmm. Show them how valuable you, they are to you, and then from there, you can have the conversation about maybe they're finding value in other places that they shouldn't. Yeah, it's a good word. None of you, Tim, Tim said this, none of you are made complete by a member of the opposite sex, not a boyfriend or girlfriend, not a husband or wife. So um, that's good. And, and can I speak to that? Yeah. Even if you don't believe that, Sooner rather than later, you, you will experience that to be truth. Yeah. I don't know if that makes sense. But I remember when I got married, I thought my wife was going to fulfill all of this list. Mm -hmm. And then I realized she's a broken, sinful person just like me. And if I try and find my value in my wife, I'm in big trouble. If she tries to do that with me, she's in big trouble. So it's almost one of those that if they do that, it's just a matter of time until they're going to be really heartbroken no and realize that they can't do that. No doubt. All right. We've got a batch of questions coming here. This is a controversial topic. People have different opinions. Let's read them and we'll talk about it. 15 through 18. I'm straight, but is LGBTQ a sin? Are people born gay? If I don't have an opinion on LGBTQ people, is that considered a sin? And then do I have to choose a side in an argument? Jacob, speak to this pretty hot button issue for us. Uh, thank you. You're, you're uh, welcome. The, the question Thanks, about Jacob. the band was a little, little better. But uh, <laughs> no, this, these, are, these are good questions. One, thank you for asking them. And these are questions we should be asking each other and asking each other more often in the church. Um, so thank you for, who, for the four people that post these questions. Um, and I'm sure other duplicates came through as well, mm -hmm. but um, I think sometimes I get handed this question because I have uh, friends of ours who are, who are lesbians who are really good friends of ours, and we do life together. And some people don't really understand how we can have a life with friends who, who live that way and come to our house uh, I just talked to I just talked to one of them this morning about like strategies for playing God of War Ragnarok. So, <laughs> like we we have conversations. We we talk to each other. We we care for each other. They buy um, my my kids gifts for Christmas. 
And, but to answer the first question, yeah, it is. It's, the Bible's pretty clear on it. Um, Paul probably talks about it the most as far as from a New Testament angle. It's, it's, it's riddled throughout the Old Testament as well, but um, Paul specifically in uh, Romans 1, 26 and 27, uh, 1 Corinthians 6 and 1 Corinthians 7, um, he lists a bunch of different people who will not inherit the kingdom. And, and he, but he is specific in a way that is talking about a lifestyle, not a commitment of sin. So, um, and kind of leading into verse 16, are people born gay? Well, are, are people born sinful? Like, are we born with inclinations to do things that aren't to the glory of God? And that's, and that's true. Um, and, but that doesn't come with condemnation from us because we suffer from so many other sins. And so for some reason, we tend to take the LGBTQ route of like elevating that sin and mm-hmm. making it so much more important and so much more targeted. Um, and it's just, it's sometimes it's baffling to me that like we, we take that sin and, and elevate it to a place that is no more elevated than our lust, no more elevated than our lying, no more elevated than our stealing, no more elevated than our jealousy, and no more elevated than our gossiping. So, yes, are people born gay? I believe people are born with sinful inclinations, just like I've been born with sinful inclinations. And just because that struggle is not my struggle, we, we tend to not empathize and sympathize with people who have different struggles than we do. Well, that person is a kleptomaniac because they, they struggle with stealing. I've never struggled with that. And so we, we belittle people in, in situations that we've never seen ourselves in. Oh, that person is gay or that person um, is having identity issues. So I'm going to belittle that sin because I don't actually struggle with it. And so you do, you do have to establish an opinion, getting into 17 a little bit, you do have to establish an opinion, and is it a sin not to, not to have an opinion? No, it's, it's not necessarily a, a, a sin, but it comes back to, do you believe what God says about you? Do you believe about what God says about his people? And do you believe what God says is good and glorifying for you? It's a hard conversation to have. It's a hard thing to talk about. And it's, it's a conversation that I've had with dear, dear friends of mine. And yet, because I've had those conversations before, and I've had them with love and empathy and sympathy, I can still have a friendship, and I can still do life with people. And so I think that's your gauge. Is, I think that's your gauge of like how do, you, how do you interact with people, how do you live life next to people, um, if you can still be friends, if you can still have that relationship with people, that's going to show you how you're... Jesus, Jesus had so many great conversations and so many wonderful interactions and so many great dinners with people who didn't believe he was the Son of God. But he did it anyway. And so, I mean, do you, do you have to have an opinion in some ways? Yeah, you do. And do you have to choose sides of an argument? I know this one, that last question is a little bit more vague and you really could apply to a, a bunch of different things. So when it comes specifically to this, I think it's, if you're, if you're having trouble finding where you stand on this argument, wrestle with the scriptures, wrestle with the, and this is not something that's new. This is, wrestling with the scriptures is something Paul tells us to do because Paul himself did the same thing. Wrestle with the scriptures, wrestle with the word, talk to people, 
get on the same level with people, talk to counselors, talk to your, your small group leaders, talk to your pastors, talk to people who want to engage with you in this conversation so that you then can have great, loving, empathizing, sympathizing conversations with people who don't necessarily agree with you. Um, and yes, when it comes to LGBTQ, do you have to choose a side of an argument? Sometimes though, on other subjects, not necessarily when it comes to LGBTQ, there is merit to taking a step back, looking at things and, and wrestling with things and taking, and taking inventory of what's going on around you to really make a decision on what's going on. I think so, t so many times we're caught in this new cycle of, you know, you're spitting like talking heads or telling you to say, well, you got to believe this, you got to believe this. Well, it's, there's some merit to stepping back and taking time researching and thinking, what would Jesus do in this situation? I know that's cheesy and cliche, but like, what does Jesus think about this? What would Jesus think about this situation? So, and can Go I ahead, add Jim, yeah, please to that? Two things. Number one, I love that you talked about what side. I love the heart behind that because you're probably a people pleaser, maybe down in your core. You don't like upsetting people. But I want to encourage you with, with two things. Not only do you need to know what side you're on, but you need to be able to articulate it well. That's good. To study and to show yourself approved, the book of Timothy talks about. Our teaching pastor, his name's Peter Hubbard, he wrote a book just on this uh, called Love Into Light. Uh, if you're a reader, um, uh, write this down. And maybe um, I can maybe bring some yeah, copies of it later. It's a great, easy book called Love and to Light, um, The Gospel, The Homosexual, and The Church. Um, and it's a really great resource that you young people can go to to start knowing how to articulate where you stand with this. And then secondly, be ready for persecution. Be ready for rejection. Right? When you stand on the Word of God, it's not always going to be praised you're not always going to get a pat on the back. And sometimes it tells you that you are following Jesus correctly. It says, going back to aliens, God's word even says that we are to be aliens on this earth, that we are not citizens of the United States of America. We are citizens of heaven. So as you form your theology on this and how to articulate it, be ready for our culture and our world to stiff arm you. Yeah. No, I think, I think all that's good. Let me give you some scripture if you want to go and read. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 10. I think Jacob gave reference to this. Uh, that, that, you know, people go, this is just an, uh, an issue we can agree to disagree on. It, it's really not. Um, because according to those verses, Paul says that, that there's some, some people who will not inherit the kingdom. And, and that's listed. And so, man, loving someone well, having that relationship enough to maybe have that conversation, that relational equity that Jacob was talking about earlier. This is not a call for us to all go get poster board and stand on the street corner and condemn people who have sin struggles that are different from our own. It's not the way to do this uh, at, at all. Because all of us have something, and this is Matthew 16, 24. Jesus says that we must all, all, not just same-sex attracted folks, not just people who have an inclination towards alcohol or violence or whatever. All of us are called to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow Jesus. All of us have something. You are not exempt. So we could talk a lot more about this. Uh, come see Tim. His pastor's got a book he's written. I have some physical copies of some other books. 
Uh, what does the Bible say about homosexuality? I've got several copies of that. Uh, I've got a book by a pastor who is same-sex attracted, who lives in England named Sam Alberry. He's written a lot about this, spoken a lot about this. Lives a celibate life. I would encourage you to check out some of what he has on it. And again, I have some of those resources. You can come and see me if you are interested. All right, staying in the relationship realm. Uh, Tim, coming to you, number 19. Why can't we have romantic relationships with people who have no opinion on religion and what if they don't mind our beliefs? Yeah, such a good question. I love that you guys are thinking about this and considering it. The key word for me in this question is romantic. So if this question were to say, why can't we have relationships with people who have no opinion on religion, I would say absolutely have a friendship with them. Be, God's word calls us to be salt and light. Look at Jesus's time on earth, right? He said, I, I didn't come for the well. I came for the what? The sick. So we look at who Jesus even had supper with, prostitutes, tax collectors, the Pharisees, like people that just you weren't supposed to be having a friendship with. But Jesus didn't pursue those people just to have buddies just to have friends and just to feel good about himself, he came to seek and save the lost. So the, the key word in here is romantic. I would say absolutely not. Don't, don't touch that with a 10-foot pole. Um, and, and, and here's why. I remember growing up, man, some people that were pouring into me had some really bad theology. Mm. So raise your hand, uh, and it's okay if you're not. If you're familiar with the, the verse about um, not to be unequally yoked with someone. Yeah. The way that was taught kind of to me and, and what I kind of believed about it was this, and it's unbelievably twisted and perverted and wrong. That verse to Tim was a black person and a white person cannot get married. That's what I was told unequally yoked meant, and that is a lie from the pit of hell. Unequally yoked, we know that the scriptures are talking about an unbeliever and a believer to pursue a romantic relationship that's maybe going towards marriage. Why? You, you don't have the main thing in common. And when you don't have the main thing in common, nothing is going to work. And you are going to be set up for a disaster. Um, I always tell our kids in our youth group, you're crazy if you are to missionary date. Like, if you think you're so strong in your faith that you were going to date someone who's not a believer, I call that the blind leading the blind. And that's no disrespect to you, respectfully. I call that the blind leading the blind. So I would say, um, if you want to pursue a romantic relationship, man, you want someone by your side that is pushing you and nudging you and championing you to Jesus. You with me? Yeah. It's a good word. Tim, just to clarify, when the blind lead the blind, where do they go? Jesus says in the ditch. That wasn't a trick question. He says the blind leads the oh. blind, they both fall in the ditch. Tim's like, I have no idea. Where do they go? <laughs> in, the, in the ditch. You don't want to be in a ditch. Jesus um, Can't put me on the spot. Sorry, man. I saw his eyes got big. Uh, if you want to read that passage about uh, being unequally yoked, that's 2 Corinthians 6, 14 through 18. You can study that for yourself. Uh, and there are some, some twisted commentaries on that, but hear what Tim said. Uh, that was good. That was good. All right, Jacob, coming over to you. Uh, number 20, if I prefer to be called by a nickname, is it still right that people call me by 
my legal name. Before you answer this, Jacob, do you have any nicknames that you can share here at church? Some embarrassing ones? Or just, yeah, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I, I had some embarrassing ones in high school that were given to me, and then, like, but not like bullying, but Cobb. Like, Cobb. Yeah, like, like Jacob, but like just the COB of, of Jacob was Cobb. Okay. It wasn't good, but. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Um, so that was, I mean, but I didn't prefer to be called that. I mean, this one in particular, like, one, it depends on the nickname, really. I mean, is this like a Sting situ- situation Sting. or like a, I don't Raise know. Raise your hand if you know who Sting is. Yeah, I know. That's really dating myself. Wow, a so. shocking number. There we go. You the, have really good the taste wrestler. in music. I expected that. The, the wrestler Sting. <laughs> wow, I think that's dating us even further, yeah. actually. Um, I think it really when it comes to like nicknames, if you prefer to be called something like as long as it's, I don't know, we're, get, we're getting into the, a little bit of, if this is about just a normal nickname, is it still right for people to call me by my legal name? I mean, I guess it's right. It's, there's nothing really wrong with people still trying to call you your legal name. Um, if we are getting into like the pronoun situation, um, there's, there's kind of two sides of this. Like we can talk about, we'll go back to LGBTQ for a little bit, or um, if you're talking about someone else preferring to be called by a certain name or be, or, or be called um, a certain pronoun. Um, we, I talked about LGBTQ um, in middle school, and, and I talked about it before in young adults, um, about this particular issue when it comes to pronouns, and somebody, you know, has asked me plenty of times, well, you know, what, if there's somebody I know who, who's, a, who's a she, but they now prefer to be called a he, like, what do I do? And what I always tell people in that situation is, what's more important to you, the relationship or being right? And that's it. Like, what's more important to you in that? Is the, is the relationship more important, or is, is you just being right more important? And, and the reason I bring that up is because I think about my dad, when he, when he divorced uh, my mom, he walked away from the marriage after 27, 28 years. Mm-hmm. It was just done. He's like, I'm done, I'm out. And then he married somebody else um, who he basically walked out on my mom for. And now this new woman is Mrs. Russo, is, is now the new Mrs. Russo. And yeah, I know legally that's her new name. Biblically, eh, maybe not so much. But for me, what's more important? What's more important for me is, to, is my relationship with my father more important or me being right about a situation more important? So anyway. Yeah, yeah it's, a, it's a tricky thing. And, and again, lacking a little bit of context. So if this was your question, come, come and see us so we can help speak into that more. And if this was pronoun related, that is a nuanced conversation. And a lot of this comes back to the relational equity that we were having earlier. Certainly there are scriptural truths that we stand on, yet we acknowledge there's people who, who are going through things and, and are confused about some things and are dealing with some things. So uh, again, come, come and see us if, you, if you've got more on that. All right, we're almost at the halfway point. Are, are we, is everyone okay? Okay, yeah, breathe, breathe. We'll we'll lighten it up a little bit. All right, I'm going to ask each of these guys, because someone asked us, if you could pick the most relatable person in the Bible, who would it be? Tim, I'm going to come to you first. Who do you relate to in the Bible? Don't say Jesus. (laughs) Yeah, no, if you know me. I would say Andrew. I don't know how much you guys know about Andrew. Hold on, someone said yes. Who who said yes? All right, big Andrew fan. All right. Andrew? Very cool. Okay, well, here's what I love about Andrew, and maybe this is why... I chose it because Andrew was so consistent in bringing people to Jesus. He wasn't really known like for being super smart 
or super talented or doing something like really, really great in the Bible where like he gets a whole passage about it. He was just a really faithful disciple. And you normally see him behind the scenes. And he was really good um, at bringing people to Jesus. And so whenever I read about Andrew, I go, man, that's, that's cool. Like, I, hmm. I want to play that role. I want that, that seat on the bus. So cool. I go with Andrew. Good. Jacob, do um, you relate to uh, Jacob? Is that? No. All right, I fair mean, enough. I... Would have been <laughs> Thank interesting. Thank you, though. Hey, you're welcome. Uh, I, I think I, going to this question when you gave it to us, um, I like to think about Levi or Matthew. I, I like the idea that this man was hated. This man was one of the people that I think most people were surprised that Jesus brought alongside. Um, a lot of people were ready to reject him as soon as he was with Jesus. A lot of the fishermen that were in Jesus's crew were like, why are you bringing a tax collector in here? Hmm. And so the, the rejection that he felt from other people, but yet being sweetly accepted by, by Jesus at every turn, and then his acceptance when he was at his table collecting taxes, and Jesus said, come with me. And he was like, okay. There's just an abruptness. There's a, a refreshingness, a refresh, refreshing sense that he just left and he, mm. he gave up. He gave up so much. He gave up such a prosperous career. He gave up so many things to just follow him and just pursue yeah. him. And I, and I love that. I love that story. That's good. We'll clean sweep. I'll go with Peter. Um, and not because Peter got a lot right. For me, it's because Peter got a lot wrong. Uh, Peter clearly had some anger issues, like in, in the garden when they came for Jesus, Peter's reaction was not, let me pray more. He pulled out a sword and started attacking people. Uh, and, and if you spent time with me, you know I struggle with anger. Uh, Peter struggled with standing up for his faith in, in the face of being questioned. Peter, uh, actually after Jesus had ascended and gone back to heaven, he had to be confronted by Paul because he was getting some things theologically wrong. Um, Peter got a lot wrong, and yet he... he was faithful to Jesus. And that I want that to be my story. Man, I get so much wrong. I get more wrong than you would probably be comfortable with me telling you because I'm the pastor here. Um, but I do. And, and I've never tried to hide that. But man, grace abounds. And I'm so, so thankful for that. So I would encourage you to find some comfort in the fact that all of these people, Old and New Testament, that God used were super screwed up. They got so much wrong. And yet God was still so gracious to them. So uh, it's a very relatable book, the Bible. Okay, batch of questions here as we move into the back half. 22 through 24. If someone has never been introduced to God or given the opportunity, and then the, the children who pass away being an example, people in foreign countries, maybe like out in the jungle where a missionary never makes it to them, uh, well, th those people go to hell. Okay, and then if a kid was never taught who God was growing up and then they died at an early age, well, they go to heaven and then 24 is, what if you're a, of a different religion and you've never had the chance to learn about God, will you go to heaven? This is, this is a tough question. Someone is really thinking. So again, thank you. Thank you for asking this. Uh, I, I am of, I'm of two minds. Uh, but I think the answer is very clear, and yet it's, it's hard. You're going to think I'm a very mean, cruel person when I answer it, but let me keep talking. Someone who's never been introduced to God, who lives out in the jungle somewhere, and a missionary never makes it to them. Is that person going to die apart from Christ and spend eternity apart from him? I think yes. You're like, man, I thought God was love. This is bogus. 
It's not my opinion. I'm reading Scripture. Romans 1.20 says that creation, just walking outside and seeing the complexion of creation, points to a Creator. And there's no excuse. Man, I, I know that's harsh. That's just what I believe. Go read that passage, Romans 1.20. Think about it and let's talk about it. What about babies? What about small children? What about perhaps those who are... Uh, developmentally different than us, who have special needs and maybe don't comprehend on the same level. Man, I think God is so gracious in those situations. Uh, and if you want a biblical example uh, of a child who passed away, so if you're familiar with the story of King David, he also didn't get everything right all the time. And he had a child, uh, David, uh, committed adultery. You could even go as far as to say he forced a woman into his bed. And then he had her husband killed once she got pregnant to try to cover it up. David did not get it all right. Um, and that child died. And David, in his grief, as he, as he was praying that, that this child would be spared and the child was not, the child died. And then he gets up and he, and he cleans himself, puts on fresh clothes, and the people are like, we don't get it, David. You were so distraught when the child was alive. Now the child's dead. What's going on? He says, listen, the child can't come back to me. But one day I will go to be with that child. And so David is taking it on faith that this child who was innocent and his life was, was so short and cut so short was with the Lord. So I, I'm taking it from there. The God that I read about in the Bible, the God that I've studied for half my life is gracious. And, and yet, again, now for those of us who are adults and have full comprehension of the world around us, I'm telling you, you are accountable. You, you just are. Uh, and so it's tough, and I know it seems like I'm saying like really harsh over here, but really gracious over here. God is both love and just. He's not one more than the other. We love to go, God is love, and we just think Jesus is just trouncing around in the clouds, plucking a harp. He, man, Jesus is loving, yes, but he is also a God of justice. So this is a tough one to, to process through. If you want to talk about it, absolutely come see us later. We've got to move on for the sake of time. Remember, speed and accuracy. 25. Coming to you, Tim, how do you know which religion is correct? And if you have another religion, will you be saved? Yeah. Okay. So only I have to be, what did you say, quick? Speed and accuracy. Speed and accuracy. And for the one person in the room that knows me, that does not sum me up <laughs> at all. So speed and accuracy. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do that as best I can with this. But, and I'm going to give you kind of a 30,000-foot view at it because I can't get super in-depth. But... How do you know which religion is correct? Well, I can go back to the words of Jesus, where Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. And he said, and no man will enter heaven but through me. So it seems that God sent his son to reconcile us to the Father. Um, so apart from Jesus, there's no way for true reconciliation with, with the Father. Um, so, and the second part was, if you have another religion, will you still be saved? So, no. Um, but here, here's what I want to encourage you guys to do. Have you ever heard the saying, if you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room? I like to be the smartest person in the room, which is why I like hanging out with my two little kids, because <laughs> I feel so smart. They think I'm so smart. They think I'm the man. But what I try and do is not be the smartest person in the room. 
So I want to encourage everyone in this room, and specifically the person who wrote this question, start reading books about what other religions believe. Start talking to people. Some of the greatest conversations I've ever had are with Messianic Jews. Um, I, I was in uh, Israel in November, and talking with people who were following a certain religion or cult, but then Jesus captivated their heart, mm. and they have turned from whatever belief or sin or path, and they've turned to Jesus, those are the people you want to talk to because they know both sides of the coin so, so well. Um, and it's, it's tricky because it there's, there's a lot of truth that's been plucked from God's word, and I say stolen, into their religion. Like if you read the Quran, what Muslims believe, I think like 60% of the Quran is truth. But it, it was kind of stolen from God's word. Like you read it and you're like, I feel like I've read that before. Oh yeah, that's in Proverbs. That's in Psalms. But then you turn the page and read something else and it's like, uh-oh, like red flags. But get with people who are smarter than you and kind of learn up on what other religions believe. But ultimately, what does this religion believe in being a follower of Jesus? You need to be completely sturdy with that first. That's good. And just I'll tack on and say, if you have friends who believe differently than you and you don't even know how to begin to have that conversation, talk to your group leader. Talk to one of us. We'd love to just say, hey, yeah, like, you know, maybe we can all get together and sit and talk. Uh, I promise you, if you ever want to bring a friend who believes differently or doesn't believe anything, which isn't self a belief, we can go get coffee. We can go get a meal. We can sit down and just build a relationship. That's what we keep coming back to is that relational equity. All right, 26. Jacob, coming over to you. Why does God like some more than others? Um, he doesn't. Uh, it's, uh, we sometimes try to put God in this box, uh, like, a, like a love box of like, God loves everybody. Just like we try to say, well, of course I love everybody, but you like people in varying different <clears throat> degrees. Like you love your mom and dad, but you may not like them as much as your friends. Um, you may love your uncle and aunt, but you don't like them as much as your friend that lives next door to you that you've been friends with since you were two years old. And God doesn't, God doesn't love in those boxes. God doesn't love in those, in those parameters that we put and we think, well, God loves everybody equally, of course, but like he, of course, he, he likes Kevin a little bit more than, I, than, than me, or he, he likes, you know, Perry a little bit more than me, or he likes certain people a little bit more than me because of what they're doing or who they are, and, and, and that's just not true. Um, God likes you, and I think that's something that I think we, we see over and over again in Scripture, but we also see um, just in, in the character of God. He likes everyone. And that's, that's something that's really cool because we, we tend to sometimes think of God as like this distant relative who loves us, but doesn't really have a relationship with us. And it's quite the opposite. He loves us fervently so much that he really, really likes us as well. And he likes us so much that he wants that relationship. There's people I love that I don't really want a relationship with. And there's people that I love and I do want a relationship with. And God wants to have a relationship with every single one of us equally. So I've always come to the terms that God likes everyone equally because he wants a relationship with each and every one of us just as bad as the other. Cool. Uh, Tim, coming back over to you, 27. Yep. How do you support those who have very different views that you disagree with? Yeah. So one of the ways that you can support them or be a good friend 
I think is what support means. You are not better than them. You're not to make them feel less than or that they're dumb or stupid or, or any of that. God's word says that other people will know that we are followers of Jesus and we are his disciples by how we love. So first and foremost, if there's going to be tons of people that you're going to interact with throughout your life um, now and in the future that you're going to have very different beliefs, but you are to love them. And then secondly, I would say ask really good questions and be a good listener, not listening to be influenced or to be swayed, but almost listening to, to get at the root of that belief. Um, there, there's a weird saying that I love, and maybe you've heard it. It says, there's only so much good you can do with pulling bodies out of a river. Eventually, you need to go upstream and see who's throwing the bodies in the river. Anyone ever heard that saying? I've never heard that before. It's super morbid and creepy, but a professor yeah, a little, said it in school, morbid. and it has stuck. So what I mean by that is, go upstream. Ask questions to see why they've landed on that belief or, or where they are as a person, and I think that's very telling. So be a good listener, ask good questions, and love them really well. Good answer. Love it. Uh, okay, the, the next several are going to deal with Scripture, like some scriptural questions, and for sake of time, we're going to have to move with probably a little bit more speed and still try to be accurate. So question 28, someone said, I'm confused about the widow in Lamentations and the context of it. This comes from Lamentations 1, verse 1. Uh, we believe that the writer of Lamentations was, does anybody know? He was the weeping prophet. Jesus. Jeremiah. Anyway, so Jeremiah is lamenting Jerusalem. Uh, it used to be full. It used to be prosperous. At the beginning of this book, uh, it is no longer either of those things. And so he is, he is making the comparison that uh, it's like a widow who is now alone. Uh, and there's some brokenness over the state of Jerusalem and of God's chosen people. So if you are confused about Lamentations, uh, you, can, you can come and see me. We can talk about it a little bit more. Uh, you're in good company. That's a crazy book. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a tough one. It's a tough one. Uh, 29, Jacob coming to you. The Bible addresses slaves and owners a lot. Why does it talk about it so much and is it condoning it? Uh, well, it talks about it a lot because it was happening a lot. Um, and we, we tend to, in, in our in our post-Civil War, American eyes tend to look at slavery in those, in those goggles um, when we look at verses like this. And unfortunately, uh, like, like Tim was saying earlier about twisting Scripture and using it for evil, um, slave owners in antebellum chattel slavery use verses from Paul to consort and to uh, convince and connive to basically bring slaves back into their servitude. Um, slavery wasn't necessarily like that in, in, in basically first century. Um, a lot of times, at least in, the, in this region, it was more of an employee-employer relationship. It was, um, or you were working off a debt. You, you had been brought to this country, or you've been brought somewhere, or you've been given uh, food and shelter for a certain period of time to be able to establish yourself, earn money, um, and then go out and be independent. And so this is more of an employee, in, in, in most of these situations in these verses, it's talking about employee-employer relations. And so for those of you who do have jobs, 
It's talking about obeying and, and doing to the best of your ability um, the job that you've been handed. So if you, for those of you who do have part-time jobs, this does apply to you. This applies to doing your best, putting your best foot forward because you're an example of Christ. Um, but as far as, as far as the language here, it's, it's not talking about antebellum, uh, Civil, pre-Civil War slavery. It's talking about a completely separate type of uh, slave to master ratio. And so if you want to ask more questions on that, please just come talk to me. I'd love to talk to you about it. Yeah, good stuff. All right, Tim, coming over to you. Number 30, do the rules in the Old Testament apply or do they not since Jesus died for our sins? And why weren't they restated in the New Testament? Yes, awesome question. So I would say some rules still do and thankfully some rules do not. So, Ten Commandments, right? Like, um, we know that there are still some commandments uh, there that are still profitable and good and God-honoring for us now. I'm really glad that people can't murder. Um, there, there's some things in there that are from the Old Testament that are still prevalent for us today as followers of Jesus under the New Covenant. However, Jesus came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. What Jesus did is he came on a scene of the Jewish people. Whereas, how many laws did the Jewish people have? It was like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds. 619? Don't quote me on that. Read, no, I think you're right. It was somewhere in the 600-ish. It's ridiculous. No man, right, could have ever done it perfectly. That's why the life of Jesus was so exciting, at least for me, to read in the New Testament because Jesus was coming and writing a new script. I mean, do you remember the passage in John chapter 5 where Jesus healed a blind man on the Sabbath and all they cared about was that he broke a law and he did it on the Sabbath. And they weren't freaking out that this guy that was blind and now could see the supernatural actually happened. So Jesus came and got the ritual of if you do this, then God will love you to go away, and now it's, when God looks at us, he sees the blood of Jesus, his son, in whom he is well pleased. There's nothing Tim can do to please the Father, right? The only thing that makes Tim good is the work of Jesus in me, so that when God looks at me, he sees Jesus. So I hope that encourages you. Um, And so the second part of that question is, restated in the New Testament, there's a lot that is. So, good news, it's there. Yeah, go check out the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Jesus does explicitly not only restate things, but give a more full understanding of of some things. All right, uh, Jacob, coming back over to you. Why does God let a lot of people die in the Old Testament? It it just seems like a lot of cities are conquered, and the Bible's just like, they all died. So can you, can you clarify for us? Uh, yeah, I mean, not just let, uh, he commanded them dead. So there is a lot to, there's a lot to glean here that it, it's, a, it's, a really hard, it's a really hard thing to talk about in general. It, it's, this, is, this is difficult to accept that the same God who sent Jesus to die for us is also the same God of the Old Testament. And yes, that God is the same, and that God is love, but that God is also justice. And so when he commands them dead, it's, he's leading them away from idolatry, idolatry. He's leading them away from the things that aren't glorifying, and there was no other choice but to command them dead. Um, and again, this is a really hard, hard thing to, uh, 
to talk about, and we could go into more, more detail. If you want to come talk to us, we'd love to talk a little bit more about Old Testament God versus New Testament God and why they're the same God. Um, but God is love, but yeah, he's also a God of justice, and he will see his justice. Yeah, there's a, there's a uh, I would say, a heretical belief system called modalism, if you want to look that up. Modalism, like modalism, uh, saying that God was one God in the Old Testament, then there was Jesus, and then there was you know, the Holy Spirit. Yes, there are three gods in one, but they're the same, and modalism is heretical. But you can do some research on it, we can talk more about it. All right. Uh, last kind of scripture-specific question, because uh, this really comes from James 2. But Tim, can you speak to this for us? Can you clarify that we are saved by faith, not works, but that faith without works is dead, and how important are works and or obedience? Yeah, so my brain thinks really simple. So just think peanut butter and jelly, right? Like, they got to go together, and, and they don't work. I mean, I guess you could have a jelly sandwich, but that'd be kind of weird. But what I'm trying to say is like, when you put your faith in Jesus for salvation, God's word says that there are going to be certain fruits that will come about from that salvation or walking with Jesus. We know the fruits of the spirit, right? Love, patience, kindness, gentleness, right? So we know that that is there. But I've also seen or met or experienced even in my own life or in others like people who don't really love Jesus or have a relationship with him but they know how to say and do all the right things right and so that's kind of the works side of it without the salvation side so you almost have to look at it like an equation right faith and works it goes to together they complement one another there's fruits there, and people will know that we are followers of Jesus by the fruits. They're going to see that we are new creations in Jesus. So I know that can be tricky, hmm. um, but it's kind of this beautiful balance of the two kind of in our sanctification process. So. Yeah, but you can't do enough things that are good to save you. Make sure you understand that. You can't, you can't do enough, okay? It has to flow out of your faith. All right, for sake of time, I'm just telling these two because you guys don't have the question list in front of you like they do. I'm going to skip over some, and we're going to jump down to 37. Don't worry. And you're like, what if he skipped my question? We'll get it in next week, I promise. All right, so I'm going to come down to 37 through 41. This is our biggest batch of questions. Let me read them to you, and then I'll, I'll dive in, get a word from these guys. If I've been treated badly by people who say they are Christian, how do I respond to that? How do we forgive those around us when they are in the wrong? How do you forgive people who have hurt you beyond repair? Does forgiveness overshadow our mistakes? And how do we forgive ourselves for the sin that we have committed? If you have been treated badly by people who claim to follow Christ, I'm very sorry that has happened. I'm also not surprised because those of us who follow Christ, we are working out our salvation. It's a sanctification process, but we're not perfect. So we get things wrong. If you are that person who has done that, you need to acknowledge it and apologize. But if it's been done to you, you need to be able to have a conversation with somebody. Even if it's not that person right away, uh, you need to be able to process uh, through that. Uh, we should all be taking stock of our relationships really all the time. We want to endeavor to represent Christ uh, well. How do you forgive someone around us when they are in the wrong? That is what forgiveness is. You can't just always be like, well, I'm right, so I'm not going to restore this relationship. Jacob said this so beautifully earlier. What's more important, the relationship or being right? If you cling to being right, you're going to be right and alone a lot. 
So forgiveness, it, it basically is implying someone is in the wrong. We have to be willing to work through that. How do you forgive people who have hurt you beyond repair? Man, whoever asked this, I'm, I'm so sorry for whatever has happened in your life and you feel like it's beyond repair. I just want to say to you, sometimes relationships are broken beyond repair. And it doesn't mean you don't forgive. Forgiveness does not always mean positioning yourself in such a way to be hurt by that person. Again, let me give you an example. Jacob, stick your hand out. Just, just turn it over for me. I'm really sorry I did that, Jacob. Can you forgive me? Yes. Thank you. Would you stick your hand back out? Hey, Jacob, I know I said sorry last time, and I'm sorry again. Do you forgive me? Yes, but this time I have to keep my relationship at a distance. There it is. Oh, listen, some of you keep forgiving people, and then you're stunned when you go back to them and they do the same thing. You can forgive them and still move on from positioning yourself in such a way to be hurt by that person. Okay? And sometimes that person's no longer in your life. Sometimes that person dies, and there's just a lot to work out. If you're dealing with some traumatic things like that, I just want to encourage you, talk to someone, maybe even professionally, get some counseling. Counseling is good. Look right here at me, everybody. Counseling is good, helpful, and healthy. You might need to work through some things with a professional. Consider that. Uh, Does forgiveness overshadow our mistakes? Absolutely not. Forgiveness looks at those mistakes. Jesus looks at our mistakes and says, I love you despite them. He's not holding them against you anymore. Uh, Julie, in, in our house, a lot of times when I will go to apologize, she'll go, oh, it's no big deal. And I go, yes, it is. It, it matters. And I'm saying I'm sorry I was wrong. So it doesn't overshadow it. And how do we forgive ourselves? Honestly, that, that usually takes the longest. You can typically forgive others a lot quicker than you f- can forgive yourself. You need to be in some healthy community with some people who can help you process through forgiving yourself. Jacob, do you want to add anything to that before I throw the last question up and give Tim the final word in just a sec? Uh, I mean, really, just to just to piggyback on what you've said about the forgiveness isn't isn't really like an overnight thing. It's a process, yeah. um, and sometimes forgiveness doesn't mean that everything is the same. Forgiveness doesn't mean that you necessarily forget because there's still hurt there. There's still a distrust, and like things have things have been broken. Um, and so it's okay to set boundaries. It's okay to put these things in place and, and to say to that person with respect, I just, I need to be in a different space right now. I need to be in a different place in our, in our friendship and our relationship. And, and maybe time and that process will bring things back together, but being okay with either. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's probably the most difficult pro- part of that process is either you really want that friendship to last and it just is not going to, or you're cutting ties all together and, and neither is good. Like you want to have this almost happy medium of acknowledging the pain, acknowledging the hurt, but then either moving forward to reconciliation, but that reconciliation doesn't mean that your friendship looks exactly the same as it used to. Yeah. We are called to forgive Matthew six fourteen and 15, but it takes time and it is something you might need to work through with people. Now, Tim, kind of in the same vein, I'm gonna throw this last question up. Uh, is there still a way to be saved, and I'll even say to be forgiven, when you have done the worst of the worst? So, Tim, this is our last question. Speak to the student who's sitting here feeling like, man, I, I've just done so much wrong. There's no way I can be forgiven for that. Yeah. Hmm. So I can say emphatically yes, because I'm the worst of the worst. Paul even says that he was the chief of sinners. So let me paint, let me paint this analogy for you in your head because I get excited about this. 
let's, let's think like if someone walked through the door right now in that back corner and they were to want to cause all of us harm in this room without thinking, I know the adults in this room, us on stage would do anything we could to stop that person from hurting you and to keep you safe. However, if my two little boys were here, Judah, who's nine, and Levi, who's six, if they were here, I'm really, really sorry, but I would not sacrifice them for you. I just wouldn't. I would do it, but if my little boys were here, I wouldn't throw my kids in front of that person to save you. I hope that doesn't hurt our friendship. However, that's what makes Yahweh the Lord so amazing that God gave his only son, Jesus, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. And that's what I love about the Lord. He gave his best. And here's what's really great, uh, nerdy kind of seminary word, propitiation. That word propitiation means there was no other way. But what Jesus did for you and for me on the cross fully satisfied Jesus's wrath and anger towards you because you're a sinner and I'm a sinner. But that's what makes the gospel so great. No matter what you've done, no matter where you've come from, no matter what cards you've been dealt, Jesus is calling. His salvation is for you. No matter what you look like, no matter where you come from, no matter how rich or poor, tall, skinny, big, are you with me? Jesus' blood was shed for you. And so no matter what you've done, Jesus is calling no matter where you've been, no matter who you've been with. And, and I have that picture of Jesus, right, on the cross, surrounded by two sinners and thieves. We know the thief on the cross. I can't imagine the list of stuff that that guy did to be put next to Jesus on a cross. But in his final moments, we know that one turned from truth. And what did the other one do? He said, Father, right, you know, they had this conversation where Jesus said, I will, you know, I will see you also in paradise. There was this turn when he recognized he was a sinner. And ultimately, that's what you have to do in following Jesus. You, you can't ask for forgiveness if you don't even know you need it, hmm. right? Like, we are sinners, but we're not just left there hopeless and wandering. But Jesus has offered a way of salvation through Jesus. And so to answer that question, Praise God. Hallelujah. No, there's nothing you can do to ruin God's love and his plan of salvation for you. Yeah, that's a good word. Uh, you can go read the tail end of Romans 8, which talks about nothing can separate us from the love of God. Uh, listen, I hope this has been helpful for you. Would you give a big round of applause for both of our guests, panelists here today? Jacob, killing it. Tim, coming in, killing it for us. Uh, we'll be back next week. We've got 40 some odd more questions that we're going to tackle. How do we know we're hearing God's voice? Uh, will my pet be in heaven? Uh, science and the Bible, how do they go together? All kinds of stuff. Let me pray for us. God, thank you for these young men and women. I pray that you would draw them closer and closer to yourself. Give them wisdom and discernment as they seek truth. Uh, God, for those who are struggling, uh, would you just let them know they are not alone? Give them the courage and conviction to have a conversation with somebody. Uh, God, we, we thank you for your son, Jesus, who died for us. 
We thank you that he's alive, and we thank you that he will return one day, that we can be with him always. Uh, But until then, Lord, I pray you would watch over and bless this group. Be with them. It's in Jesus' name that we make this prayer. Amen.